And that's, you know, that's that's criminal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no way around that. The, the city was completely robbing them um, of their money. There were some people that paid, stayed and fought. And but the majority of them just said, hey, this isn't worth it. I'm going to leave and move somewhere else and took the hit. OK. Welcome to House Crazy Real Estate Show. We talk to average people that do above average things in real estate. Today, our guest is Daryl Debs, the owner of the Resident Group, a real estate firm based out of Detroit, Michigan. So we're talking to him about his real estate journey, the housing market, the housing market, Detroit real estate, and some other things. So um, appreciate you joining me. Could you introduce yourself to the uh, good folks here in Housebridge? Hey, man. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, I am Daryl Debs of the Resident Group, uh, where we believe anyone can build wealth through home ownership. Uh, that's been my motto. We started in 2019 um, in Detroit. My wife and I uh, bought our home, uh, started making various other investments, and I've been teaching other people to do the same thing uh, since then. Okay, okay, cool, cool. So how, how do you how do you even get to, um, hey, I want to become a realtor in the first place? Um, like, how do you even get to that position? Well, it's actually funny because the, the way I got into real estate was I got fired from my job. Yeah, it was a, it's a funny story because I was um, I was a janitor um, at 19 and uh, in 2009, I was making $15 an hour, which was a lot for the time. All right. Um, so, you know, I'm 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 top dog in my circle, 19 years old, making 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm working all this overtime plant life. Uh, not really doing much. And then one day it just all came to an end. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I don't have a check coming in next week. I'm living off unemployment, uh, 700 bucks every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't enough. I was married. I had a six month old daughter and I had to figure out something that I could do really quick for money without having very much education. I didn't, uh, I didn't finish college, graduated high school, went straight into the workforce. Um, so I'm Googling and I'm like, well, what can I do without a degree that makes a lot of money? And my first mind was be a stockbroker. Right. But, you know, that costs money that I didn't have. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the next best thing um, that I found, I was looking in sales careers, uh, looked at uh, selling insurance, looked at selling cars, um, and uh, was watching a video on World Star Hip Hop about... Uh, uh, wholesaling houses. Right. <laughs> Ended up going to an investors meeting. Uh, met a lady there who, you know, was just just overly, overly generous with information. Okay. She told me to get my real estate license. Um, I did that, and uh, been been you know trying to figure out why everyone doesn't have one. <laughs> okay. Well, so so interesting. So I feel like everyone does have a realtor's license. Everyone just doesn't sell any any, any homes. Yeah, I think the too. license, is, but I actually actually like moving units is is hard. Um, so how did you kind of like um, get traction? Like how did you start to get your like how did you get your first deal or your first client as a realtor? My first client actually came from Zillow. Um, I was doing. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the service. Zillow ended up buying them. So it's Zillow Rentals now, but they used to be called something else. And as okay. an agent, we had access to the MLS and Zillow would let us market our listings for free. So what I would do is I would take uh, homes from the HUD website, 
which is where people went to search for foreclosures. Okay. And I will market those homes on the Zillow rental site as a, you know, as a first time starter homes. If you don't have a lot of cash or if your credit's bad, this is a good place to, to get houses because in Detroit, you get houses for like five grand back in 2009. <laughs> and that was equivalent to what a down payment on a lease was for yeah. your, um, your first month and a security deposit. Okay. So I'm like, well, if you're going to take that money, you might as well invest it and have it grow into something later. So I got my first deal um, kind of middlemanning between Zillow and the HUD website. Okay. Uh, for, I don't know what HUD is. It's the uh, hurt. Excuse me, choking on my coffee. Uh, housing and Urban Development um, is a government. Uh, uh, one of the branches, not one of the branches of government, but one of the uh, uh government departments where they are in charge of, you know, like fair housing, um, a regulatory uh, yeah. administration of the government. Oh, okay, but, okay um, cool. So that's how you got your, your so it's just kind of like a first, a little small um, deal. And then so when, when did you start to get the feeling that, hey, I kind of know what, I, what I'm doing here? So probably after my, uh, after I got my first commission check, okay. um, it was from one of my renters uh, from Zillow. I went through that entire deal and something just clicked for me. And it was like, oh, this is all I got to do. <laughs> I'm, uh, is, you know, negotiating the deal, uh, making sure the numbers worked uh, and, and making sure that, that my client was getting the, you know, the, the, the win inside. I was good at it. Uh -huh. I was good at identifying what numbers made a deal work and how to get to a closing, how to get to the closing table. Okay. So what, what are, what are some kind of tips right now? And I don't know if there's a tip um, as far as, you know, folks, you know, kind of winning deals in this market besides offering the highest um, number. And maybe that is the, the solution, but I mean, outside of like offering the highest number, what are some ways um, that folks who kind of, you know, maybe um, present a better offer uh, in this, in this market? So real estate deals are made up of two things. They're made up of the price, which is, you know, just throwing money at it. And it's made up of the terms. That's everything else that's not the price in the contract. Okay. And when you can find out what a seller's terms are, even more than the price, a lot of times that's what's going to win you the deal. Um, I'm dealing with a lot of situations right now where sellers are um, putting their homes on the market and they need time to find a house of their own before uh you know before they move out but they also yeah. need that cash from the sale to move yeah so the way we've been winning a lot of all, a lot of our deals is offering what's called a lease back okay and uh those lease backs are you know you're basically renting to the seller uh to stay in the home for as long as they need to find another house oh, okay 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 yeah yeah i think i did that with one of my first home but yeah i did that for for a couple a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, because you, you gotta you need money to buy the home, but then you want to sell your home. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of a lot of sense. So how do you actually find out what the terms of those those deals are? Is it experience or do you are you actually asking the other realtor or the, yeah, the yeah, other so, realtor? So it's a it's a little bit of a dance. Um most of the people I talk to don't give me that information willingly. I kind of got to do a little bit of a digging about um what the seller owes on the home, how long they've been there. Um what area they're in, what area they're looking to move to, because maybe I have a listing that they can move into. 
So um, that experience, those relationships that you have with other agents uh, really helps in the deal making process. Okay, okay. And so what are what are some tips you would say as far as somebody like I'm I'm a first time homeowner or home buyer. Uh, what are some tips to where you where you would say, hey, this person, what, what's somebody be looking at when they're looking to buy their first home, basically? What's it okay? So, and that's a that's a tougher question um, because everybody's looking for something different. It's not a it's not a one size fits all type of thing. Um well, let me, let me rephrase we that. What are what would make you say somebody's like ready to buy their, their first home? You know, like, you know, they would have maybe their, their funds ready or for their budget. Like, what are some tips that, you know, say, hey, this person is ready to buy the first home? Maybe I should phrase it, phrase that way. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, some stuff to, to, to look for is one, the desire. Okay. That has, that has to be the, the, the number one thing on your list. You have to want to own a home. Um, if you don't, then it's just not going to make sense to you. There's no, there's no number I can give you. There's no amount of money that you can make. There's, uh, there's no motivation uh, for you to start looking into a location and own a home if you don't want a home. So number one that me and my clients always discuss is what is your desire? What's your motivation for owning this home? Okay. And if that's going to outweigh uh, the convenience of renting. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and then, um, so, so, okay, so we, we start that process. And then how, how long does it... Um, just kind of walk through the home buying process. So somebody's ready to go, they have their, their, or I guess, so when somebody's ready to go, kind of what's the next step you would say for somebody? Would it be talk to a lender, talk to a realtor, get the pre-approval, what would you kind of recommend? Next yeah, so those steps are, are kind of 1A and 1B. Uh -huh. I'm, um, I'm of the mindset that you come to me first and then I recommend you one of my lending partners. Um, but you know, that's that can work either way. You can go to the lender first and then come to me with, uh, the budget that the lender set for you, or we can talk about some options. I recommend you to a lender. And what I usually do is just hop right on Google meet with my lending partners. Um, and we talk about all your options right there. There's no, there's no reason for us to have a separate phone call or I'm waiting on you to call them or them to call you. We can get it all right there done in the first consultation. Okay. So that way you're leaving with some actionable steps uh, toward buying your first house, but okay. do not go shopping for a house without a budget yeah, without yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't um don't don't go don't go looking on zillow and and uh and all these other real estate websites uh without talking to a lender without talking to your agent first okay okay um make, makes a lot of sense and then so um so they got that they got that pre-approval now um you know they, they called you i'm ready to go my budget is going to give me a three hundred thousand dollar home how, how does that how does, how does the next part work are you um you typically send clients homes. Are they are they saying, "Hey, I want to look in the zip code"? Or I, how does that process work when you're kind of looking, trying to home fine tune that uh, that perfect home for the client? Or not perfect, but uh, you know, um, yeah. good so, home for the client. So, in the first step, when we have our consultation, we talk about some criteria, um, some must-haves, uh, areas you don't want to live in, things that you got to have in the house. Um, and once we set the budget, we make a list of all those homes in that parameter. And we set a showing schedule. Typically, it's you know around somebody's work schedule, or we just pick a day to go look at homes um, and make our offers from there. In this market, you got to be a little bit quicker. So, you know, with all the technology out there, you don't need me to find you a house. <laughs> uh -huh. 
you can you can look on Trulia, you know, uh, they've even got a Facebook marketplace for housing now. So there's no there's no limitation on who finds you a house. Anyone can find you a house. Where agents come in, and I think a lot this is lost on a lot of people, is actually getting you into the house and negotiating on your behalf to make sure you're not getting screwed. We're we're professionals at uh, these real estate contracts and negotiations. Okay. You know, you're, you're paying for the service of our expertise, gotcha, not gotcha. for us to, you know, we're not tour guides. <laughs> we're not just there to let you in the house so you can look around and say, you know, Oh yeah, I like this. Let's, uh, let's put an offer in to construct that offer to make sure that you're getting the house. That's what we're there for. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, I skipped this part, but, um, I recommend everybody, this is with your, your realtor and your lender. Um, you know, you got to do some sort of like interview or question to that, to that realtor to make sure that yeah. they're, they're a good fit for you. So what are some questions you should be asking your realtor to say, hey, this is a, this is a good fit? Because, you no, know, it's, it's a mutual fit. You, hopefully they're a good fit for you, but you have to be a good fit for them as, as well. So what are some good questions they should probably um, ask you to see if you're, uh, you're good to go for them? Yeah, so my consultations, we are having a conversation. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like dating. We're not getting married, but you know, I know whether we're going to get along or not. I, I don't accept every client I come across. <laughs> every client's not going to get along with me. So a lot of people come with um, questions that have nothing to do with their situation. And, you know, it's my job to educate them on what that, what the process looks like, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So if you like that type of thing, then we're gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna be a good fit. If not, you know, I may uh, recommend that you work with another one of my agents. Okay. But we're, during that interview process, um, quote unquote, the interview, uh, we're filling each other out. We're having a conversation uh, to see if we like each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the main thing. I think you need to be comfortable with your agent. You should be able to tell your agent anything. If you're having any type of struggle, any type of win, you should be able to talk to your lender and your uh, agent and be open and honest about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I if think you don't feel that comfortable, then, then you probably need another work with somebody else. Yeah, like I said, that's super important, I think, especially with the realtor. With the lender, it's sort of numbers, you got to trust them, but with the realtor, you're going to be with the realtor sometimes, you know, a whole day looking at homes, and I don't know if you drive driving the car with your your clients or they ride behind, but you're going to be with that person for a lot, a lot, a lot of time, the weekend time, the hours. precious, the precious hours of your, of your, of your week. So yeah, you should, you should hopefully like each other, I would say. And so how, how is the, the, the Detroit housing market? And so like, um, I know, like, like you kind of mentioned, you know, back in the day, you could, you could scoop up homes for like a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars there. And some people who, who saw, you know, saw the, um, the vision that you have made a killing. I mean, how, how is the housing market yeah. in Detroit, in Detroit right now? Detroit is finally uh, one of the premier markets in the country. Uh -huh. it's, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. It's, uh, the mindset is finally shifting that we are a metropolitan area. Uh -huh. And, <laughs> and um, you know, for a long time, it was just put on the back burner for, for one reason or another. Um, that's another conversation. But... <laughs> But the market here is normalizing to where, um, you know, a 2,500 $2, square foot brick home is going for $200,000 as it should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, where as five years ago, you could get that same $2,500 or 2,500 square foot house for under a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. which is, which is ridiculous. That's, that's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, did, did, did anything specific change in the market or just, just, you know, I don't know if anything happened five years ago or did, or did just, yeah, I don't know did anything so, specific happen with the market or just kind of started to catch up. It was, a, it was, it was one of those perfect storms, kind of lightning in a bottle type things with, um, inflation, coronavirus, uh, low mortgage rates, um and also a low housing market at the same time as increasing housing on the west coast when west coast home prices became unlivable i sold uh 20 homes just to people in on the west coast in one summer okay they were coming over here i was showing them uh homes in a specific area and they were like we get the whole house for that much Yeah, they were because where you know where they were coming from, two hundred thousand barely gets you a studio. Yeah, you know, yeah. you maybe you could maybe buy a loft outside of the city. They were they were completely shocked that they could buy a whole house, um, you know, four bedrooms, uh, multi floor colonials for two hundred grand. That didn't make sense to them. Yeah, that, that that was me when I moved from from DC to Dallas, and I was like. You can get a nice place for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, like, huh? Like, I, I was like baffled. I was like, because I had no, I just had no idea that of the housing market outside of that DC bubble. Where, like, the like when I, I got here in two thousand seventeen, um, no, no, I got here early, but I bought a bought a condo in two thousand seventeen for like two fifty. And like, I always saw, I tell my wife, like that condo in DC, where was that? Like, it was right, I, I was, it was, it overlooked the park. That probably would have been like an eight hundred. Nine hundred thousand dollar condo, like it just—it kind of blew my mind. I was like, "Wow, I see why people, <laughs> I see why people leave that 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 uh that area." That's kind of kind of crazy how you just how that how that works geographically with the with the home prices and and all that. Yeah, especially with um uh this this new coming of age, companies are realizing that remote work is actually more profitable for them. Uh-huh. Having people at home using their own internet, uh, not paying um uh leases for these buildings for people to come work in is the next wave of working so that allows for the the mobility is allowing for people that are living you know working in california washington um oregon nevada to move to the east coast or move to miami uh a, a place where you know there's no income tax or you know just just opportunity to build more wealth with the money that they're making that opportunity didn't exist five years ago. Yeah, most definitely. The, the company I work for, they're in San Francisco. I've never met any of my employers uh, in person. <laughs> my interviews were all on Zoom. Like, um, where it works perfect. It works perfect for me. Like, yeah. So, uh, and like I said, I, it it has no impact on my job at all. Like I said, I don't think I'd be any more productive in the office than I would be now. Probably more productive now because I don't have to drive. Um, exactly. I don't have to do the two hour trip I used to have to do. When, when I worked in a physical office, when I actually worked here in, in Dallas. So, um, yeah, 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 most most definitely. Um, Just think about that. If you if you work from nine to five, right, you're you're usually pulling up to the office around, you know, 850, 840, 845, quarter two. You're walking in, you know, you're grabbing your coffee, you're sitting down at your desk. You probably don't start work until 9, 10. Mm-hmm. If you're at home after that commute, nine times a day, you, you're eliminating... You know, getting dressed, 
<laughs> you're eliminating uh, the the commute to work. This you're not as drained work. when you start work, and you and you'll probably start on time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got I got on Christmas sweatpants right now. And that's what I wore to work today. So. Yeah, yeah, and definitely, like I said, I I work from like seven to three thirty. That, that's my schedule. Just because they, they I start work when I when I want to, and so like it's it, it's just. I, I I couldn't imagine going like going back to a, like a physical office anymore. Cause like I said, I I mm-hmm. wake up at like six ish. Uh, take the dog out. I start work sometime between seven seven thirty, and I'm done between like three thirty or four o'clock. And it just like it, it, I I just, I just can't even fathom what I was doing in the past, wasting two hours like going going back and forth uh, on the on the road. Um, and so um, transition started from. From uh, my my work life to back to the to the interview, um, and so like I know there was an article out here in in Dallas where um they I don't know how they're going to do it I actually didn't read the article I just saw the headline but they're looking to ban investors from buying homes in the in the Dallas market um to, to in theory stop with the the home price escalating I get I'm curious what are your thoughts about that do you think that would have any impact actually on, yeah, on home prices. Um... So, so there are pros and cons to it. I agree with it. I think their reasoning is uh is online. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to execute it. Uh, <laughs> we we live in a free market society. There's yeah. there's no if if you ban me from doing one thing, it was happening on the HUD website. Uh-huh. The HUD website they they opened it up to uh the homestead first. Homestead is uh if you're going to live in the property. Uh-huh. Okay, they will open it up to homestead for a week, and then if no one bid on it for a homestead property, then they will open it up to investors. Um, we all know that investors were buying those houses, saying that they were going to live in a homestead. <laughs> so I think the same thing is going to happen. Where like like what I'm saying is is Dallas, um, and this is happening in other places around the country too. They're talking about doing it in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to create some type of affordable housing market. Um, and I, I don't know if that's the best strategy long-term, but I, I like where their head is in trying to, to uh, mitigate housing be, becoming out of control because mm-hmm. there's got to be, there's going to be a point where somebody's going to have to choose between uh, compromising their living standard and the other option is homelessness. Yeah, yeah. So, so that you know, when you got two bad choices, that's that's not a um, that's not an ideal situation. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I wonder. I always wonder how they're actually going to in, enforce that for, or even put it in place. Because I think when everyone talks about you know, like your 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 everyday investor, like maybe a me or you who you know may own one or two properties, like they're not the ones moving the needle. It's the it's the companies that are buying like hundreds of homes uh, a month. Um, they really yep. move the needle, and I feel like those companies are going to lobby or do whatever they do to, to not have the legislation. But like, I, I just don't see, I don't see it passing or or, or whatever's happening with it, just because the people that are, that really move the needle are not going to just be like, you know, just going to um, close up shop with with their, with their company. Exactly. But yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what what actually happens with that, or if it could even be put in place. I don't, I don't think there's any chance that it, it could be in the in in the in the first place. Think about what they're doing. They're saying they're they're, they're, they're it's it's they're saying that they want to depress the housing market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like slow it down. Prices are going up too fast. 
And I think they're on the wrong side of it because if you depress the housing market, you stop uh, you stop wealth accumulation, right? Um, you, you stop the equity that people are are earning on their investment. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you're not forcing employers to uh, to to pay more so that people can afford these inflated prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's backwards for for them to you know be working one side of the coin without bringing the other side up. It's not it's not equitable. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Sometimes you actually gotta let the, the free market do its thing. I guess whatever the whatever the chips may may fall. And I think that's a lot of times where we we you know me and you would preach just you know you, you gotta own something. So I mean if you own something yeah. when the price <laughs> when you own something the prices go up. That's great. If you don't own anything and prices go up, that's when it sucks. Because <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, and so like you know, you can at least control. I mean, once when you when you get a mortgage, your principal and interest rate is locked in. I mean, taxes will go up, insurance will go up, but I mean, their principal and interest rate is 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 locked in. You know, for the next 15, 20, 30 years, when you rent, it's just going up exponentially. Um, and so that, that's the thing. Why you just need to. You need to own something. You know, a lot of folks, you know, always say do whatever you want to do. Some folks, you know, don't want to buy a home. That, that's on them. Um, but um, in my opinion, you just need to own something just for the simple fact that you have to pay a living expense. So you might as well own where you live, even if you don't plan on buying any sort of investment property or anything like that. That's just my, my, my two cents. Exactly. There. And I don't think, I don't think the, the emphasis, uh, like I hear a lot of gurus say, you know, your, your, your primary residence is not an investment. Um, you know, it's a, it's a liability and they're completely negating the equity that you build on that home while you're living in it. At the same time that housing is going up, you know, you can look at any chart, uh, over time, housing prices have increased, hasn't gone down. (laughs) Um, when you add that to what you're paying into the mortgage, you're on your on your principal. You're paying that down. When you're paying that principal down, you add that to the equity to see how much you're making on that house. So yes, it is an investment as long yeah. as you bought in the right location. Now I'm not saying that you know, like like uh, here in Detroit, you can buy a thousand dollar home, right? <laughs> and, and that sounds crazy to people. I you know that's a that's a fact. You can buy a thousand dollar home. If you tear that home down, you probably make 10 grand off the land. Uh-huh. Um, if you build that house up, let's say you put 20 grand into that house and sell it for 50. You know, th- these are bottom floor prices where um, no matter what you did, buying that house for $1,000, you made money. Mm-hmm. So whether that was your primary house or an investment, you can't lose Investing in something that uh, appreciates over time. Yeah, most, most definitely. And, and how, how does that work? So I always hear about, you know, um, the Detroit Land Bank, you know, where, where, where people are buying homes for $1,000, $5,000. What One, why is Detroit selling homes for $1,000? Um, then two, why, why isn't everyone just, I don't, why don't I buy a house for $1,000? Um, and then, um, yeah, how, how does that process work? Because it seems like, hey, buy a home for $1,000, there's no way you can't make money. Like, why are they even selling homes for, for so cheap? Yeah. Um, so, so the Detroit Land Bank is a is a, another government sponsored program um, where we had a mass exodus 
um, two mass exodus, uh, one in 1980 uh, and another in the 2000s uh, with the crash of the auto industry. Mm -hmm. um, the first exodus, you know, people left, never came back. We lost jobs. Uh, the second one, uh, people were laid off. We went into a depression. So a lot of homes went into foreclosure and that was compounded with the, uh, uh, the housing crisis in 2008. So we were already losing uh, population because of job loss. And then the housing crash just kind of toppled down on top of that. So we've got a, a city that's 60% industry uh, empty. <laughs> we went to, from a population of over 2 million down to 600,000. Okay, wow. So um, all those homes, you know, they're just sitting there. They're either deteriorating or, um, you know, just sitting empty because no one could afford uh, to, to pay anything on them. Taxes weren't adjusted. Um, there's a lawsuit going on about that right now. Uh, yeah, so, so taxes so weren't adjusted for the, uh, for <laughs> no one came out to, to reassess the taxes after the housing market crash. Um, there were foreclosures from people that were on arm uh, loans whose interest payments just ballooned and skyrocketed. So those loans became due. Uh, so they went into foreclosure. A lot of people just walked away from their home because they couldn't, uh, you know, take the equity out of them. Um, there just weren't a lot of good options uh, from a period of 2000 to 2010 in Detroit for, uh, for the housing market. Mm -hmm. So the solution to that was, all right, the city's like, all right, we got all this inventory that people have lost their homes to tax foreclosure. So these houses belong to the city. We've got to get them back into the taxpayer base so that our city can start making revenue. Didn't help that Detroit was going through a bankruptcy at this time either. <laughs> so we were under state governance. Um, we had an emergency manager set in place instead of the mayor uh, over our budget and over um Pretty much all things in charge in, uh, that dealt with the city. Okay. Uh, so someone had the bright idea: let's take all these houses and just sell them back for what people can afford. So they started with having uh, the tax auction. It was one of the most popular tax auctions in the country. Uh -huh. uh, Wayne County released uh, Detroit's properties because we had so many. They released them to be their own separate entity uh, and the Detroit Land Bank was born. Okay. We have two here. We have the Wayne County Land Bank and we have the Detroit Land Bank. Okay. Uh, and in the Detroit Land Bank, they started auctioning off those homes uh, for $1,000. So you could buy a 2,500 square foot house in a desirable neighborhood. Um, not... It, the price started at a thousand, so those homes, you know, may have went for twelve to twenty thousand, but you're still getting a twenty five hundred square foot house for less than the taxes would be in a year. Yeah. I guess so. What what is the the maybe I don't know if it's uh, feasible now to to like buy these houses, but but what what was the con? Did you have to be like back taxes? So I'm trying to think like uh, in yeah. hindsight, why wouldn't have everyone just said, hey, let me buy a home that's way under market value and just sit on it for a minute like or maybe everyone should have and they just didn't see the vision but what, what what's like the cons uh it seems too good to be true yeah so so the cons were you didn't uh, a lot of the houses you couldn't get into them until auction day so okay. um sometimes you were buying sight unseen okay you just knew it was in a good zip code okay um 
And then at the time, Detroit was one of those markets where, you know, it was even being portrayed in the media. Everything was trash. The whole yeah, market yeah, yeah. Was, was, was down. So um, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, that's not a good investment because it's in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what I heard from my, my POV, not, not being a local. That, that's what I would just kind of hear, um, you know, ancillarily. Yeah. Yep. So we had two um, catalysts, uh, two billionaires live in the city. Uh, Dan Gilbert and Mike Illich bought up, um, let, I'm rough estimate, 10 square miles uh-huh. of a, of a, um, of a 46 square mile city. So they own a quarter of the city between these two billionaires. Uh-huh. Uh, both of them built their own ecosystems. <laughs> Dan Gilbert with, with, uh, was now rocket companies. It was Quicken Loans back then, uh, bought up probably 40% of downtown and just renovated each building one at a time. Uh-huh. Uh, he made that a desirable area. Uh, Mike Illich did the same thing with what's called Midtown, which is a little bit further up. Um, uh, you know, he did this before his passing. His family is is kind of maintaining it now, just kind of okay. holding, sitting on the properties. Uh but that's that's what it's called. People would call that, you know, gentrification. But if nobody wants it, yeah, and you know, somebody comes in and fixes it up, this is, you know, this is what has to happen in order to increase uh imp- increase property values. Yeah, yeah. You gotta put some stuff down there that's desirable so that people are attracted to the area. And that's sure, what's so, happening yeah. around Detroit. There are investors coming in, putting desirable things in. Um, so that people want to live here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so cool. Okay, so all uh, all Dan Gilbert and uh, Mike Ellis—they kind of turned around the Detroit market just by, by by buying it up and and basically creating value. Essentially, is what they they did. Yeah, they they created value downtown, midtown, and then uh, there are some some players in uh, in the neighborhoods that follow suit. So um, I want to give them full credit for. Uh, for revitalizing Detroit, but they put a lot of money into it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. Thank you. Um, and then, so do those opportunities still exist today, or is it like I'm going Definitely. to land? I'm going. I can go to. I can buy a thousand. Well, you did. I can buy a thousand dollar home right today. Can yeah, you, you can go on buildingdetroit.org and and uh, buy a house from the land bank today for a thousand dollars. Okay, <laughs> it's in the hood. Though? What's the what's exactly? The- Exactly. It's going to be in the hood until you develop that land. And what I was recommending um, five years ago, I had some developer clients that came in. They were like, well, what do we do? I say, you, uh, when we start looking at these houses, when you pick one, you're going to buy everything within two miles. Okay. And you're going to develop those two miles, um, put everything you need in it, a grocery store, a, uh, uh, you know, a meat shop, farmer's market, uh, probably going to need a playground. It'll help if you have a school in the area. Um, but these homes are going to need to be, you know, it's, it's a massive project if you're going to get a return on your money. Okay. And the ones that listened made a lot of money. <laughs> I just, uh, one of my clients, he just uh, retired, uh, moved down to, uh, He's got two houses, actually. He bought one in uh, Atlanta, and he bought another one in Georgia. He okay. drives in between both, and he visits He visits his last house up here in Detroit um, during the summer. 
Okay. But he was a retired police officer, started working with me in 2020. And in two years, uh, he made over $2 million and retired down south. <laughs> so the opportunity was there. It's always been here. <laughs> wow, wow, okay. Um, and so I, I know how much you know about it. You briefly mentioned it, but I, I did see you about like the lawsuit where basically um, you kind of mentioned that, um, you know, a lot of folks lost their home. And I, well, this is not an article I just saw the headline and didn't read it. I guess you kind of explained it, but they didn't, folks, they didn't adjust the taxes once the property prices were falling. And that's why folks kind of lost their homes. I, I saw like um, like $500 million or something in over taxes. Um, Correct. So, so I don't know, do you, how, how long is that? Um, I don't know if it's a lawsuit been going on and what is a possible solution? Because they're going to, you can't really give folks back homes that somebody else is currently living in. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, there's no amount of money that can fix what they did, right? Um, these people were put through, you know, mental anguish, uh, <laughs> loss of their home. That's traumatic. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a dollar amount that that could give those people peace of mind. Um, but you can quantify it. <laughs> <laughs> you you can definitely quantify. Um, for one, at least give them the uh, uh, the difference in the taxes. Um, so however much you overcharge them or however much they were unable to pay, that amount one needs to be forgiven and they need to be made whole on that end. Um, two, you need to give them the appreciation uh, that they would have gained in their home had they not lost it. Okay. That's, that's the starter just to make things fair. Yeah, yeah the break even, yeah. <laughs> Um, like I said, there's, there's no amount of money that I can put on their, their mental anguish and their suffering for losing their home. Um, cause that is just, just the worst case scenario. What, what else can you do to me after you, uh, forcibly remove me from my home or tell me that I have to go, I can't stay here anymore yeah. because of a mistake that you made. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't like they were quiet about it. You know, these are not people that were, um, I want to be clear, like these people were not delinquent on their taxes before it went up. These are people that were paying their taxes every year. The housing market crashed. They're asking the city for uh, assessments and they're paying $5,000 in taxes on uh, essentially a, a $30,000 house. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's criminal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no way around that. The, the city was completely robbing them um, of their money. There were some people that paid, stayed and fought. And, but the majority of them just said, Hey, this isn't worth it. I'm going to leave and move somewhere else and took the hit. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, and then, so when it transitioned into um, kind of the, uh, the business model, so I know you work, you work at um, EXP. So that's one of those companies that I always see. Um, I just see a lot of stuff about on the internet. And so like, um, I know like one of their business models is you get like, like shares of the company. Is that, is that true yeah. where you like stock or how to keep talk, yep. talk about the EXP business model. I just see a lot of stuff about it on the, on the I internet. mean, it's, it's really simple. It's one of the, one of the best compensation plans uh, in the industry. You get an 80, 20 split, 80% goes to the agent, 20% goes to the company. Um, and then you also get referral fees uh, for people that you bring into the business. The company takes the 20% that they earn and will pay you three and a half percent 
of that 20% that they earn for bringing that uh, agent into the company. In perpetuity um, or is there a cutoff? No, no, that's it. So the uh, there is a cap on it. Um, you can make up to $2,800 per year. Okay. Yep, and that's called a, a revenue share model. So basically you're sharing in the revenue that uh, you're, you're sharing in the money that this agent made for the company uh, until you reach $2,800 in a year. Okay. Yep, and they also award you, because uh, it changes all the time. So <laughs> um, obviously as the, as the bigger the company gets, that um, that stock award is going to get smaller and smaller. When I first arrived at the company, they were giving away 100 shares per agent that you brought on. Um, now it is $400 worth of uh, share, which is about which is about 20 shares. Okay. Yep. So for every person you uh, bring on, and like I said, stock price fluctuates. I think it's around $13 a share right now. Um, but yeah, for every person that you bring on, your award is stock. Uh, one for them closing the deal and uh, another award uh, for you bringing them on. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And so um, can you talk about, um, you know, you said you're, um, you have your real estate, your real estate uh, team right there. How many folks do you have on the team? You can talk about the team a little bit for anybody. Yep. So uh, we've got uh, looking to looking for um, agency. Yeah, definitely. So I've got four people on the team right now. Um, each one of us is running our own brand. We are uh, called the resident group and we believe that anyone can build wealth through home ownership. Uh, each member of the team is a homeowner, owns, uh, investment properties. Uh, we practice what we preach and, uh, you know, we're looking for Asian partners around the country that are looking to do the same. One of the reasons that I partnered with eXp was for that opportunity to be able to go into other markets and find like-minded people, uh, you know, to, to help grow the brand and help grow this message that it's easy to build wealth if you're doing the right things. We were making real estate really simple for people. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, got, gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. Um, got, got one final question for you. This is the last question I asked uh, everybody. So let's say... Um, I give you a million dollars, but you have a week to spend it. Just we have to spend it all in one week on real estate or real estate related items. What would you uh, What would you do with it? Oh, I'm buying houses. I'm buying two miles. <laughs> I gotta do what you told you mentioned before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm buying. I'm buying two miles worth of real estate. Uh, I am redeveloping that land, putting in a couple a uh, couple franchises, uh, a Starbucks, a grocery store. Um, maybe a shoe shop, you know, <laughs> somewhere to get clothes, somewhere to get something to eat. Um, and, and I'm, I'm building an empire from there. A million dollars is more than enough. Gotcha, like say, gotcha, you only gotcha. need 3% to, to leverage. Uh -huh. <laughs> leverage a conventional loan at 3%, man. I can get office space and everything. Uh -huh, I still uh -huh. have some money left over. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, all right, gotcha, gotcha. Start building the empire. Um, so wh where can the where can the good folks find you at? So on Instagram, all social media, you can find me at, at Daryl Dibs, uh, D-A-R-R-Y-L-D-I-B-B-S. Um, if you want to meet with me, have a Zoom like we're having right now, buy a home, sell a home, you can go to DarylDibs.com. And all also, right. if you're, you know, if you're an agent, you can follow my team page at resgroup.homes.
Okay, cool. And all that information will be um in the bio or not the bio, the description on YouTube or the podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now. So um uh, like I said, once again, appreciate you guys. We finally were able to, to connect with this thing. Uh, appreciate your time, appreciate the the knowledge insight on the uh, Detroit market and re- really everything else real estate related. And um there's no outro to this podcast, so it is over. <laughs> appreciate it, man.